Welcome to The Insider, the Jazz Sessions spin-off series where I chat to industry insiders about the nuts and bolts of the business. Today's guest is the president and founder of Epstein & Company, an international booking agency that represents a roster of brilliant artists, including Maria Schneider, Fred Hirsch, Surreal M.A., Jane Bunnett and Makeke, Donnie McCaslin, and many more. I am chatting to Mike Epstein, and I'm delighted. Mike, hi, and welcome to The Insider. Hi, Nikki. This is wonderful. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Well, I feel so lucky to have you here. Like we are blessed with a, a rare gem that we're going to crack open and demystify a whole bunch of things. So no pressure. You know, I've been called many things, but a rare gem is not one of them. But I will, I will happily take that description. Thank you. That's really kind of you. Well, I mean, I could also call you Holy Grail. I don't know. There's just so much. There's so uh, much. Please, please don't. <laughs> I'm going to use that for marketing purposes and then people will download this episode and be like, but it's just a man, right? It's yeah, just they're, a gonna think this is, they're going to think this is an Indiana Jones interview. <laughs> you know, whatever gets people to click listen, I have no issues, no moral. Yeah, no moral <laughs> issues with that. So um, let's dive in with what events led you to found Epstein and Company and also kind of what led you to focus on this avenue within the music industry. Absolutely, and I will try to not um, describe my life story by answering this because it could very well go that way. But long story short, I always thought I was gonna be a performer, uh, which is not uncommon for people who end up in the music business side of the industry. I'm a drummer and uh, that was really what I wanted to do. Um, jazz has always been a passion of mine, I, but I love all types of music. And after college or just, just before I graduated, I, I was really burnt out uh, as a performance major. Again, not uncommon. <laughs> and um, But for me, the challenge was I didn't know what I wanted to do because I had always been so set on being a performer. And actually, the first thing I did right out of college, literally the next day, uh, I I flew out to uh, work on a cruise ship as a drummer for, um, I set sail aboard the Princess Caribbean for the Princess Cruises industry. <laughs> and um, that, you know, and, and that's, again, not that uncommon. A fair amount of uh, music students end up doing that. It's, it, you know, if you take the audition and you get it, it's uh, it's a way to keep performing and it's a way to obviously save money. So I did that for a few months. It was not the greatest of timing for me because, again, I was already kind of burnt out with the idea of being a performer. So once that contract was finished, I happily uh, got back on land and tried to figure out what I was going to do next. Um, I ended up working at a nonprofit uh, agency in Chicago, and I was there for almost seven months. And in that time, I, I was very serious about going back to school uh, to become a psychologist and thought that's exactly what I wanted to do. And, you know, as, as you know, too, as a music um, undergrad, you, there's no uh, crossover courses there, right? So I had to really start at ground zero. But I was um, back in school part time, working full time to do that and realized I wasn't happy with anything I was doing. Uh, and mostly because it was none of it had anything to do with music. So even though as a performer, I was burnt out, it was clear to me I did want to be part of music, whatever that might look like. And uh, I have a really wonderful uncle who's also a mentor of mine. He's an entrepreneur. And he sponsored me to take this workshop that still takes place. It's called the Unique Edge. 
And it's a wonderful eight day workshop for um, uh, people who are between the ages of 18 and 24. So like right out of college, perfect for me. And it helps you, the, the uh, course really helped me get clear on what was important to me, how to set goals, how to think long-term, how, um, how, to, how to understand what is it you do naturally really well and, and how do you focus on what you do naturally really well into um, potential big entrepreneurship opportunities. So um, for me, the takeaway was very clear. I did want to be part of music again, and, but I also wanted to be sort of music and helping people were like the two big uh, uh, takeaways for me. And so I got very clear very quickly on what I wanted to do. And I as soon as I was finished with that day, I remember immediately remembering uh, a larger booking agency in Boston who represented a lot of artists. They still represent a lot of artists that I'm a big fan of, like Pat Metheny and Wynton Marsalis and at the time Chick Corea. Um, and that was called the Curland Agency. So I, I uh, did everything I could to try and get an internship with them. And it was kind of a big gamble, like really rolling the dice because it's an unpaid thing. And I was leaving a paid job, I was a full-time job. I was leaving this new college direction for psychology. I mean, I really did a 180 and, and I had never been to Boston. And I just told my friends and family, I had to do this. Uh, this is calling me. <laughs> and I packed up my car and drove out. Didn't even, I had no, I had no idea where I was going to live, any of that. And I'm so glad I did because I was in the right place at the right time. And I thought I might be an intern there for a few months until I ran out of money. <laughs> and um, as luck would have it, before I got there, unbeknownst to me, their receptionist had already put in her two weeks notice. So after my first day as an intern, um, I was told, if you want to start working here and be paid, you, uh, you can start working full time and answer our phones. And I said, absolutely, I'll do that. And um, slowly just worked my way up and I got to have a fair amount of experience because they also manage some of their artists and we can talk about the difference between booking and management. But so I got to have experience um, for a few years working in the management side of things because there was just more opportunity at the time for, for someone to do that. But after a few years, I realized I was really more motivated and interested in, in the booking aspect of the business and working with artists to develop their uh, touring careers. So any opportunity I had to do that for the artists that they were representing, I took it, I, you know, I, I tried to do absolutely the best I could with that. And I got to do that for um, a few years. And then it was at the point where I realized um, unless one of the senior agents who had been there for a long time was going to leave, I, I was kind of in this position where I was working as a junior agent. I was getting experience, but I also... I just uh, actually kind of going back to that unique edge workshop, I realized too, something that I thought uh, I would love to, again, roll the dice on is could I ever just work for myself and could I ever, you know, build my own agency? That was always in the back of my mind. So um, at a certain point, I decided the time was right and again, rolled the dice and just went for it. And so actually, this is interesting timing that you and I are talking because last week, so now we're in the end of July my agency officially celebrated eight years of uh, being in business. Congratulations. Um, the pandemic, thank you. The pandemic year notwithstanding. <laughs> so that hopefully answers your question of how I kind of, you know, post-college into got to do uh, what I've been doing for now eight years. Well, if you can survive the pandemic year, then you've really earned your birthday and all the cake and everything. So yeah, yeah con congrats, you. Mike. That's that's a tremendous achievement. It's really. And I yeah. can't believe how fast the eight years have gone. I mean, it's, it's really, it's crazy. 
Yeah. Well, time, such a slippery sucker. I don't know mm. how to quantify it. Can I ask what it is about booking as opposed to managing, which you can go into the differences now if you want, that you liked? Is it because there's a sort of, I often think of booking, you're looking at geographic locations, you're looking at different um, routes. Is there something sort of almost, almost like it was a board game? And there are all these moving pieces and how few moves can you get somebody to Istanbul and then make the most logical way to get them to, I don't know, Germany from there or whatever. Is, is there something about the strategy of it that appealed to you? It's a good question. It, I don't want to say management. I don't want to say booking or management. One is easier than the other. They both have their challenges. But to be fair, uh, booking is, is clearly more straightforward because at the end of the day, your job is to get an offer for your artist. And that's pretty straightforward. It's not, it's not that it's easy, but the, the objective is very clear. Management, and again, this is why I was glad I had the experience helping out with the management um, part of the, large, uh, the Curland agency. Management is difficult because to do it successfully, the manager is essentially the artist's CEO of all of the businesses and activities and objectives and strategies that the uh, artist is trying to achieve, right? It's not just the booking. So, so management is marketing. It's, it's working with the record label, if there is one. It's managing the other musicians in the artist's band to the extent that you ha they have to get paid and, and everybody, you know, the budgets have to be set. It's a little bit, I think in some respects, it can be less tangible um, because there is so much going on, right? So it, it's, uh, it's very hard to do well. I mean, it is a really, um, it really takes someone who wants to uh, obviously help the artist, but has the ability to really see on all sides and all directions and see far into the future, which is not easy to do, as you know, with technology changing, with uh, a pandemic could hit when we don't know it's gonna hit, right? There's all sorts of challenges with it. So for me, it was the, it was a little bit more straightforward, but I also, at, you know, at a fundamental level as a booking agent, you really do have to be interested in sales. You really have to be, you have to be motivated to get the offer for your artist, to get the best money for your artist wherever you can, if that, you know, if that makes sense, um, to, to just, uh, and also, I, I mean, money aside, the idea that you're directly responsible for helping the artist build a fan base is something that's really exciting to me. Um, you know, and it doesn't matter what level the art, what stage of the artist's career you're, we're talking about, whether it's an artist who's more established and you're trying to build on what they've already uh, developed, or you're, you're talking about a new artist who really, we're starting at ground zero. I, I do, that's a challenge that I like. Um, and with, with and, and the other thing that's worth mentioning too, is that even though my agency functions as a traditional booking agency, there's plenty of times with our artists where we actually act as more of a management role. Um, simply because the lines are much more blurred than, than ever before. Um, so, you know, it's not, it's not that we're just trying to get offers. We're just, yes, we are trying to get offers, but we, wherever we can, we're trying to help with marketing the show and that whole aspect of the artist's career too. Can you divulge, do you have any specific strategies when you have an artist on your roster, whether they're new to your lineup or they just happen to be at a certain place in their career trajectory and they're not as well known as some of the other artists, do you have specific strategies that you use in order to get them bookings 
Aside yes. from obviously, you know, if someone's like, oh, we've heard about this person, we want them. But for the ones that you go after on their behalf? Sure. Uh, and a lot of this actually has to do with our, our overall process for how we work with artists, which I sort of developed. So I talked about this program called the Unique Edge. That's like a starter program. And then that company who puts that on uh, runs a, a, a really large um, uh, operation called the Strategic Coach. And that is a program that's for entrepreneurs of all types. It has not, you know, any industry. There's a couple of basic criteria you have to meet in order to apply. But the point is, is that when I did that Unique Edge program, I knew if I was gonna ever work for myself, I wanted to get into this strategic coach program. So after a few years, I was able to get into that program and I did it for, they have a core program that is actually three years long. <clears throat> and I did that. And one of the things I learned in that is how do you create a unique process for working, in my case, with clients, with artists? And how do you create a unique process that gives your clients an experience, ideally, that they can't get anywhere else? Okay, so that was the like genesis for this. Like if you go to our Epstein and Co. Web, Epstein and Company website, epsteinco.com, if you go there, you'll see at the top, there's a tab that says our process. And that I developed uh, as a combination of the experience I had already had working with artists and a lot of the tools and concepts I learned in that strategic coach program. Okay, so to answer your question, how do we work with artists who are not necessarily as well known and what types of strategies do we use? The, the truth is the whole process, it doesn't matter how established the artist is or not, or how new they are. Our process, it always kind of starts with the same conversation with the artist. And the conversation um, starts by asking them this question, if we were having this conversation three years from now, and we were looking back over the years, what are all the things that have to have happened for you to feel happy with your progress? That's a question that I learned in the strategic coach program because it applies to all types of client relationships. And we just were, I was able to uh, modify and develop it specifically to artists, to musicians, okay? But the nice thing about that question is that it, put, it, it makes the whole process entirely about the artist. And it, and, it, and, you, and it becomes sort of uh, customized to each artist because each artist obviously has different goals, right? Yes, uh, most artists do want to tour more. Yes, most artists want higher artist fees. Uh, that is a common characteristic, of course. But how you do that for artists really comes down to understanding what the artist is trying to achieve and getting them to think long term. Right. And that goes back to what I was talking about, this idea of being excited to help them build their fan base, because the truth is, it doesn't really matter if we're talking about, and obviously I don't work with big pop star artists, but even those artists, this, I think the most successful ones are constantly challenging themselves to come up with bigger, you know, bigger goals that, that, that will make them stretch more. Right. I mean, and I think that's really true. You can see that with, the, uh, I'm just gonna name some major artists, the Lady Gaga's of the world or whatever. Like, I really do think those artists are success, they continue to be successful because they continue to challenge themselves because they don't, they don't sit still. They don't wanna necessarily repeat what they've done. And that, that's true of any type of musician. And that whole style of thinking is something that I try to encourage my artists to do. Because especially if we're talking about jazz musicians, um, it is really difficult to expect your career will continue to grow if you are continuing to put out the same album with the same standards. You know what I mean? That is very antiquated. And that is not, that is not going to grow your fan base. And so that's difficult because some artists want to do that. 
Um, but the other thing I would say about how we uh, strategize for our artists, again, it goes back to that question. If they aren't able, <clears throat> excuse me, if they aren't able to answer that question, and this is the first conversation we've ever had with an artist where we're actually trying to determine, would we be a good fit for this artist? And we ask that question and they really can't come up with anything. We know this might not be a good fit because it kind of disqualifies them um, from how we work and, and that wouldn't benefit anybody, right? Conversely, if they're saying things in, that, in their answer that we know we don't have the capability for, we also know we're not a good fit, right? So you're trying to find this, this happy uh, medium where we can be excited about their goals, but more importantly, we can help them reach them. And that's not easy to do. <laughs>
I want to have, I want prospective artists to see it and to know that, yes, we are trying to offer something different than uh, the traditional, okay, you want to play, we'll just try and book shows, whatever. Um, because uh, it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before, these, this idea that the lines are sort of blurred between management and booking. Um, how can we, as a booking agency, expect to be successful for our artists if we aren't getting them to talk about these bigger goals that, that also um, are related to things like marketing, that are related to fan development, that are related to um, you know, all the different aspects of their career. It, it, it is kind of all encompassing. So that, that's the reason why it's there is because I want them to see uh, how we work and to hopefully get a sense just from looking at that, that, there will, that this is a different, that they, they will get a different experience working with us. Secondly, there's a tab that is titled Scorecard, where you offer musicians a window into what you call the integrated artist. So tell us about this card and the desired effect of using it as a musician. What do you hope a musician gets out of using it? So the Scorecard is, yes, it's exactly what you said. It's, it was a, it's an attempt to simplify the complexity of the artist. And when I say the complexity, I'm talking about not just touring, but um, recording and technology and business and yes, touring, you know, there's, there's several different core aspects of an artist's career that are always being worked on. And so the, the, the idea of the scorecard is to simplify all that and to have the artist basically do a self-assessment and to look at each of those aspects of their career and to get a realistic sense of where am I at with each of these aspects? But more importantly, where would I like to be? <laughs> you know, um, one, of the, one of my mentors has this great saying that's uh, always make your future bigger than your past. Always make your future bigger than your past. And so for, for an artist to go through each of these aspects of their career and to get a baseline assessment of kind of where they're at, maybe I'm a two in touring, but I'd like to be on a 10, right? I'm a four in um, uh, technology, but I'd like to be a 10, like constantly moving the needle forward. Um, it's, I think it's really helpful to have a, a visual sort of baseline of where we're at now and where you'd like to go. And uh, truth be told, some of our artists find it useful. Some of them have never seen it. <laughs> um, also, sometimes we will get um, uh, people filling them out and sending them to us. And that's, that's also what we want because it's a, it's, a, it's a free tool, right? So it's just, I think it's helpful to have this sort of simplified way of visualizing all these different things that um, the artist is working on and to get us as a team motivated behind where, where we're at now, but where we want, want, where we want them to go. Um, and I would say one other thing about it is that it also ideally, hopefully if it's working, kind of gets artists to stop thinking about this idea of perfection in what they're doing and focusing on progress, like focusing on progress, not perfection in all aspects of their career. Because one of the most effective things we can do for our artists is to help them celebrate their progress. And that's also something that, that's in the um, process that we do when we work with them. Uh, because I think artists are very prone to comparisons, like comparing themselves to other artists. And the best way to make yourself miserable is to compare yourself to somebody else. But if you can get in the habit of, of uh, clearly understanding um, where you're at right now as compared to where you were three months ago, six months ago, five years ago. And you can periodically look back and think, wow, like 
I was there, but now I'm here. Like, look at all this stuff we've done. Um, that self-confidence, that self-motivation just gets the artist much more excited to keep going forward. It's counterintuitive because people are constantly comparing themselves here forward, but you can never, ideally, you actually never do reach that end zone. Why? Because you're constantly pushing yourself for bigger goals. So the, the, the key to staying motivated is to take time to look backwards and again, just literally acknowledge your progress. And most of the time, artists don't do that. <laughs> yeah, very true. I mean, I said it, folks, at the beginning of this talk, I said we had a gem here. And I think he's proved himself as such because, Mike, I have to say, those tabs, and there's a third we'll talk about now, there's something immensely generous about them. From the perspective of a musician who may be online searching and Googling and trying to create spreadsheets of who's out there and do I need help and who could help me and all that stuff, to stumble onto the Epstein and Co website and to look at those tabs, they're tools that you are basically giving people for free. So I thought they were generous off the bat, but then hearing you talk about them tells me that, you know, just going onto your website is scratching the surface and that folks, especially musicians at any stage of the game, I would say, particularly if there are musicians who are not happy with their current, this is not what you want to hear, but those who are not happy with their current booking agency should really listen to this and hear you talk to get another perspective and to cotton on to the fact that you're coming at it from, I think, a very different approach and different angle that sort of opens things up and in fact empowers musicians. Whereas I think a lot of agents and people who are in the business to aid and abet folks don't necessarily think they need to be all that empowered because, you know, that's why they're there. So it's quite refreshing. Well, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I absolutely mean it. It's very galvanizing and uh, inspiring and energizing. And the last tab that sort of stuck out jumped out at me on your website was the podcast that you host which is called speaking of the arts and it's where you converse with other industry folks and also your artists it's very clever because on the one hand it is like a built-in publicity platform for the musicians that you represent but of course it's much wider reaching because you don't just interview the artists on your roster you interview people from all sorts of avenues as they pertain to jazz and music. Uh, and in fact, the first time I heard you speak was not on that podcast, but was on an interview panel. Maybe it was for the New England Conservatory and it was you and Anne Braithwaite and Maria Schneider and both you and Anne work with Maria in different ways. Anne is a publicist and you are a booking agent, of course. And I love industry panel discussions. I, I think it's one of the best things to come out of this time where we've all been cooped up at home in terms of online offerings. I just have found that having access to those sort of conversations has been so great because in essence, those are the sort of things that take place at an APAP or a Jazz Ahead or a trade show. And unless in the past you were able to be there physically, you would miss out. And to be honest, as a musician, even if you were there physically, you're a real bottom feeder at those gatherings. So it's not like you can kind of eavesdrop on a meeting that you're having with Anne and Maria over at the next table. So I think that the online discussions, and I hope and I think that they will continue past this god-awful pandemic, have been amazing. Tell me about the podcast and what it's meant to you and the company. 
Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, thanks for listening to the session with um, Anne and, and oh, Maria. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, so the genesis for the podcast was, I don't know, six, seven years ago now, not too long after I had started working for myself and trying to build the agency, just listening to other podcasts at the time and realizing that exactly like you said, this could be a really good oppor opportunity to not only feature our artists and have them talk about what they're doing and, um, so that can be listened to by presenters, but also as a way for me, who's starting out, who, who's trying to build his own network to um, make new connections and relationships with people who I might not be able to offer an artist to for booking, but I might be able to have them talk about what they're doing and, and all that. So that was, that was kind of my thinking behind it. And, and um, you know, I've gone through periods where I'm able to consistently churn out an episode every two weeks. I've gone through periods where it's been months since I've had a chance to do one. Uh, but, you know, just because it really is something we kind of do at our own pace on the side, it, I, um, I plan to do it as long as possible for sure. But I think it's been, so I would say too, from a, a business standpoint, there is something to acknowledge, which is this idea of, of marketing and how this podcast that we do plays into our marketing strategy. And, you know, we could spend all day talking about marketing and sales and everything like that. But uh, the best way to think about marketing is, is all the things that are happening before a sale is made. And, but really good marketing actually is all the things that are happening before a sale is made that do not involve you, or in my case, do not involve me. Having to you know, physically take the time to make a phone call or send an email or, you know, really try to actually get a book in. It's everything that happens before that. It's this, this constant education process. And in our case of what we do, of course, educating people about our artists and having all of that multiplied across as many channels as possible, podcasts, blogs, which admittedly, I don't really do blogs, but right today with all of these different channels, you know, really successful companies automate this really brilliant marketing and it doesn't aside from the initial setup it doesn't involve people anymore because it lives on the internet and it, and it builds itself so the podcast um I, I mean i've had situations at these conferences you were talking about where somebody would introduce themselves to me and i'd never met them before but they had listened to the podcast right and i didn't have to do anything after the fact i mean that that exists it still exists they can check it out they can listen to it right so, you know, I think, um, and then it's no reason, it's no surprise, I mean, why uh, right now podcasts are so popular because everybody does a podcast.
how important are those APAC Jazz Aheads, those trade conferences to you in terms of fostering and maintaining relationships and doing the best work that you can do? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great question to ask right now because everybody is so eager to get back to them after having all this time off and the shutdown and the lockdown and everything. So, and I mean, in a nutshell, they're very important because they are the main opportunities to physically be with people who we are working with to, um, and whether it's uh, organizations we've worked with for years that we've got great relationships with or opportunities to create new relationships, those conferences are the bread and butter of all of that. I will say though, one thing that's been very interesting for all industries, not just the music industry, because of the pandemic is the advent of or the uh, popularity of Zoom. Like, right, so you and I are talking at the end of July and traditionally there will be these smaller regional booking conferences in the fall. Part, mostly because the pandemic, we're not out of it yet. They are having to do um, hybrid versions where it's, you can come if you want to, but it can also be virtually. And, and then some are actually just doing completely virtually anyway, um, right? And so, and all of that really is thanks to Zoom or other conferencing platforms. But I'm just curious a year or two years from now, uh, what will be the norm and will people invest in traveling? Because as you know, it's not cheap to do these. Will people still be willing to invest in them if they are finding their business is still growing and they are still creating lots of booking opportunities purely through connecting with people from uh, uh, Zoom and other, uh, other uh, virtual platforms. So I don't know. Well, presumably you haven't stopped working over the past year. And the thing about um, your field is that you're always looking forward. So you're looking at dates for 2022, maybe 23. Has the quality of, so, well, because you haven't stopped working, I also assume you are having meetings with people. And as you say, maybe they're Zoom or maybe it's a call or whatever. But is the quality of those meetings actually any better or does it yield better results than the meetings that you would have at a conference? I, I think it's too soon to say because for the first, you know, six, seven months of the pandemic, there wasn't the work we were doing was primarily trying to keep our artists motivated and confident. <laughs> um, Right. I mean, there really, to be fair, there really wasn't much booking opportunity happening. Most of the work was actually canceling and rescheduling shows and rescheduling shows. And you know, like, we're still trying to reschedule a handful of shows from last year. But I think it's a little too early to say um, what would have been more beneficial, like meeting those people versus being um, connecting to them virtually. I'm not really sure.
something else that your website offers, and I mean, if folks don't go and check out the website after this conversation, then we've really undersold it, which I, I don't think we have at all. One of the things that you offer is a questionnaire. For any musicians who may wander over to your site and say, I need help with booking. And I think it's incredibly smart. Do you offer that because you are interested in the mindset of an artist and a mindset of somebody in this business? And you know that psychologically that questionnaire will help a musician really ask themselves important questions when it comes to business strategy and growth? Or do you offer the questionnaire because it is very effective in lessening the number of emails through which you have to wade? <laughs> I would say both. <laughs> Fair. But honestly, it wasn't, you know, we're a small agency, so it's not like we're receiving, you know, just tons of uh, inquiries and everything. But we do occasionally get independent artists filling out the questionnaire. And the primary reason for having that on there is to figure out um, where is the artist at in terms of their fan base? What is the number of ticket sales they are able to do based on their previous touring history? But you would be amazed uh, whether this is a new artist or it's actually an artist who's been doing this for a long time. You would be amazed at how generally this is not information that is managed or kept or uh, readily available. <laughs> and it just, it never ceases to amaze me that, that this is not what an artist, the, the artist should treat their, their uh, touring history and specifically their ticket sales history as their bread and butter. I mean, that should be just the most fundamental thing they hold on to as a touring musician. It really is. But again, people don't really take the time to do it. So yeah, the questionnaire is there to really uh, give us as much information as possible and to see if we would be a good fit for an artist based on what they're saying. Have you ever uh, decided to represent somebody based on their answering of that questionnaire? And we had never heard of them before? Uh, yeah, or maybe, you know, vaguely, but you'd never considered that that might be a good match. That's a good question. I'm trying to remember. Um, it's possible. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that we really try to try to first decide based on what we're hearing or seeing, seeing, do we really like what this artist is doing? Is this, is this, you know, obviously are they talented, but are they, are they, are they producing music that is really incredible and so moving that we want to work hard for them? Uh, that is the first and foremost thing to consider that we try to consider when working with an artist. And that, obviously that's what most booking, I would hope most booking agencies try to figure out too. Like, are they, are you really passionate about this artist and what they're doing? Um, because, you know, you could, you can obviously have artists who um, uh, sell a lot of tickets, but you're not too interested in what it is they're doing, right? Yes, it's a business. You have to, of course, represent artists that sell tickets. Um, but, but, you know, in an ideal world, it is about, wow, is this so cool? Is this so moving that we want to work for this artist? In what instant, Mike, do you play more of a managerial role and not just a pure booking agent role? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I, I think, I think more often than I think, <laughs> Um, but well, I should be more specific. So our, some of the artists we represent have managers, some of them do not. So obviously that dynamic is more prevalent where the artist does not have a manager. 
and the, and and you know I don't know I I, I don't want to I don't want to shoot myself in the foot but I do feel like sometimes more often than not we can be we can, I feel like we can be more successful for the artists if they actually do not have a manager because not because we uh, would not because we theoretically are great managers because obviously we're booking agents but because I've found artists at a certain level who are self-managed, um, they don't need a traditional manager. And, and that, I think that's a shift that's happened, you know, probably last 10, 15 years or whatever, um, where, you know, somebody wakes up one day and realizes they don't need to pay somebody to book their travel, right? Which kind of gets back to what we were talking about earlier, this management is really, really difficult. So a lot of times I get asked the question, how do I know when I need a manager? How do I know when I need a booking agent? And unless it's super obvious that your workload um, as, a, as a musician is, is just, you can't keep up with the sheer amount of demand, right? My answer all, uh, now is you should invest in someone who actually knows how to do really good marketing. Don't even worry about a manager um, or a booking agent, but like find, either learn it yourself or find somebody who knows how to help take your content and um, use platforms as they need to be used and create really amazing looking videos. And obviously the music has to sound good too. Cause I, I always make this analogy that you would never book an Airbnb whose pictures looked atrocious, right? And so if you're not as an artist able to translate the music into um, beautiful visual or whatever across digital platforms, what does that say about how you're going to come across on stage? I think the strategy of it never fails not to fascinate me. And I think the idea of mm. money spent wisely when needed is really sound advice because, yeah, especially because there right. are now, as you say, so many things that musicians can do by themselves without help or even the idea I you know I think more people are also offering sort of consulting services whether it's for getting your publishing stuff in order or whether it's for career strategizing right. and trying to get to the next rung of the ladder so even that you know a small sharp shock of paying somebody for a very specific consulting period and then seeing if you can gather tools from that and right. to what degree you can further your agenda yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it's so obvious, but it, it feels like the industry, the traditional aspects of the industry are still kind of catching up to where technology is. And that's not necessarily the fault of the industry. It's because technology is increasing so quickly and it's, it's constantly changing. But it, it, I mean, it sounds obvious to say, but I, uh, the truth is people will always hear your music um, digitally before they would ever experience it in person. It's so rare that that like from my own in my own experience, it's very rare that I would see an artist live um, for the first time, right? And had not already heard something online or seen a video online. And that is so rare. I mean, maybe at a big festival where there's specifically a stage for new artists that could happen. But yeah, it, it just the nature of things being all digital is such that people experience your music digitally, virtually, however you want to describe it, before it's live, before they are there at the show. Yeah, completely. I completely agree. What kinds of qualities do you value from the artists with whom you work? And could you use examples of 
your actual artists in answering that um, or use it as an opportunity to share any anecdotes of particularly sort of nice and successful working relationship kind of successes? That's a really good question. I, yeah, I mean, obviously people want to work with people that, that are easy to get along with, but the truth is I am much more excited by artists who are, it goes back to that idea of who are challenging themselves and, and have these really impressive, almost scary goals, um, as opposed to keeping it, uh, playing it safe. So, so my point is, is that if that type of artist, you know, to a certain degree, like, yes, what are you willing to put up with personality-wise? But, but if that type of artist is so um, committed to this bigger project or this bigger goal that they have, I, I would always forgive to a certain degree <laughs> uh, them being quote nice or not nice. I mean, it, you know, you have to kind of forget that, right? And just focus on what it is they're trying to achieve. So, the, so in terms of what quality, yeah, what kind of, how, how driven are they? How, um, how focused are they on that bigger, that next project, that bigger goal? That is super exciting to me. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's, but again, it's not so much, I'm, I'm just trying to work with nice people. It really is about the art and what are you willing to do to, to make that happen? That is, you know, however you want to describe that is something that I really am look, always looking towards. And, and I'm very lucky that I am working with artists like that. Like, for example, you know, we work with the pianist Emmett Cohen. And Emmett has managed to create an entire virtual jazz club through, the, through necessity um, because of the pandemic. And every week has streamed a show from his uh, apartment in Harlem and has featured incredible guest artists. And that whole thing has, it's so cool because he's, I don't think this was initially his goal. Initially his goal was to just keep playing with musicians. <laughs> and yes, let's just broadcast it because that's all we can do. But as an entrepreneur, he has created an entire platform that other musicians can now tap into. And for us as booking agents, we can take this, this idea of a platform and have performing arts centers do it because we can, at, we can come to the table with all of the numbers he's bringing from his own channels, from his own social media that he's developed in the last year and a half. So that's a really good example of an artist who just, I mean, he has worked so unbelievably hard to get that where it is today. Um, even from the standpoint of those first few episodes he did, it was all trial and error, learning what kind of mics do you need? What kind of video cameras do you need? How do I do this when it's just me and I'm trying to do the concert, right? He's sitting behind the piano. He's also trying to get his iPad. I mean. It's a lot of trial and error. Um, so, so he's a really good example of someone like that who has created this incredible uh, platform that took a lot of work and effort. And I can say that about a lot of artists. Like we work with the singer Kat Edmondson and she's done a weekly show from her, from her home too. And that's taken on a life of its own. That was picked up by CNBC and it was featured nationally on the news. You know? And again, same story. She had to learn through trial and error. How do I do this? How do I create... Uh, a show by myself from my home and how do I make it interesting and how do I build my fan base that way, right? That to me has been super inspiring um, through this really hard time for artists. And so it's no surprise that the artists like that who have uh, uh, risen to the occasion and, and, and kind of created something out of nothing, right? Which is really the definition of an entrepreneur. It's no surprise that as we finally turn this corner, who is most in demand? 
it's Emma Cohen, it's Kat Edmondson, it's our other artists who have stayed relevant and stayed in the uh, spotlight, so to speak. In the show notes, I'll put a link to Live from Emmett's Place and also the Cat Edmondson show so that folks can go and watch it and also catch up on all the archived uh, episodes. A dream is a wish your heart makes When you're fast asleep In dreams you will lose your I mean, and that also explains then also, I mean, why you must get so much joy out of working with someone like Maria Schneider, who is such a boundary pusher. Yeah, I, I have to say, like, because you, you mentioned at the beginning the uh, the NEC panel that I did with her. And it's worth just mentioning because it, it's, it's relevant to what you and I were talking about with our unique process. But it's a funny story. But yes, Maria is, oh my gosh, talk about... The, just the complete package, the complete, you know, yes, brilliant creatively, but also brilliant from a business standpoint, from an entrepreneurship standpoint, she just fires on all levels. But so the first time we met, because she was considering coming you know, to work with us for a representation. So the first time she and, I had a, she and I had a meeting about that, I was all excited to start that conversation, start that relationship with that question that I I shared with you at the beginning, if we were having this conversation three years from now, and we're looking back over those years, what are all the things that have to have happened for you to feel happy about your progress? So we had like a lunch meeting and I asked her that, and she just looked right at me and said, I don't really think that way. <laughs> Which is funny to me, because, you know, I was all excited to like, this is how we, you know, I, I'm, I, I felt like proud that we have this question to ask her and how is she going to answer it? And what am I going to learn from her? But my point is, is that, you know, she's, a, she's one of the most successful artists I've ever worked with. And it's because she has her own way of, of thinking about things and doing things, right? And that's fine, too. So it's just, it's a reminder to me, too, that, okay, it's great you've got your, your process here. But the truth is, it is always about the artist. And, and if they're not able to kind of think along those terms, that's fine, right? Like, let's, let's still figure out how to help them. So anyway, I just, I, I think about that all the time and laugh. Yeah, I love that. I didn't know she, yeah. you said so it doesn't work for some people. I didn't know she was one of the people. But right. It also kind of iterates that there are a million ways to skin a cat. But I think that the imperative thing is that if something's not working for you, are you thinking about it in a different way? And if you're not... Yeah, but also too, yeah, also it's worth mentioning that um, it's no surprise that successful artists, that, that, I, that uh, vision that they have for themselves, it really, it, it comes from within them, right? It's, it's, and I mean, I think managers have more of a responsibility to coax that vision out of an artist, right? If, if the artist isn't really able to see where they want things to go, that, that is certainly, we were talking about the difference between manager and agent, that is traditionally a management thing. But 
I don't know. I, I do think that generally those artists who have that within and um, yes, of course they need a team to help them realize it are not surprisingly the most successful, right? It just makes sense. Yeah, it has to start somewhere and it has to start with the artist. Um, right. Because, you know, for managers, there's only so much coaxing you can do. If there's nothing right. there, then you're literally trying to kind of spin air into magic and, you know, goals and things. So I think it's right. a really important reminder. And I, I do hope that a lot of musicians listen to this and promptly finish the interview and then go and and go and visit your website and have a look at all of the things that are on offer there because I think they're just valuable, valuable tools and yeah, great food for thought. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to getting to hear your artists live as they all emerge. I know some of them already have, but emerge from this hibernation period. And Micah can't can't thank you enough for agreeing to be on the show and to chat and to share all this amazing knowledge with us. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks again for asking me. Oh, there's a lull in my life. It's like a void and empty space. When you are not in my embrace. The moment that you go away There is no night, there is no day The clock stops ticking The world stops turning Everything stops but that pain in my heart That keeps burning, burning There's a lull in my life No matter how I may pretend I know that you alone can end The ache in my heart The call of my arms The lull in my life Thank you to Mike Epstein for being such a willing and generous guest on this episode of The Insider. The Insider is a spin-off series to The Jazz Session that I created in order to chat to jazz industry experts about the work that they do and the musicians who inspire them. The Insider is available to Patreon members at the $10 per month tier a month before everybody else, the general public, receives these episodes. If you want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to head to thejazzsession.com join and become a Patreon member today. There are two tiers of membership, $5 a month or $10 a month. For $10 a month, you'll get these interviews a month before everyone else. Doesn't that sound like heaven? There are also all sorts of other perks to be had. So if that interests you, head to thejazzsession.com join for more information. Again, I will put the track listing for this show and any links or other interviews that Mike and I mentioned in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Do share this with friends, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. And join us for another episode of The Jazz Session next week and another episode of The Insider in a month's time. I'm Nikki Schrerer. Thanks for tuning in and I will see you soon. (laughs) 